Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for a winter that is reasonable, that is really nice to have in light of the ones we've had in the recent past. Lord, thank you for this time we can meet together. We can study your word together and rejoice in your word and the pleasure we have in reading it and studying it together. We pray your spirit be in, in control of what is said. Lord, you would open our hearts and minds to your meaning, what you want us to get out of this this evening, uh, how it ministers to each one of us individually and collectively. So, Lord, be with us as we study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Got some barn burners on Marcy's monologue today. By the way, this first one, this guy was bragging about how long he'd been reading prophecy. He starts out by saying he purchased Billy Graham's book, Approaching Hoofbeats, back in 1983. Well, my mother-in-law gave me this one back in 1972. <laughs> and that was 52 years ago. So that's how long I've been doing it. So I just <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to show you that. I was tickled I still have the book. What's that? I'm an old guy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> anyway, this guy's point. Very good point. And same thing with Kyle Lindsay. Uh, he's saying he looked at that book again recently, going back to see what it said, to see what kind of relationship it had to what we see today. And, and he's, he makes some really interesting uh, observations. <clears throat> he said, the stark differences between then and now leaped off the pages, he said. The Antichrist, Antichrist rides. He says, in the last six years, we've heard of a guy by the name of Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum. That's a, very much like an Antichrist. He's not him, obviously, but I don't think. But uh, he certainly is a, standing up as being a type of Antichrist, for sure. And by 1983, he had heard of a group. Remember, we used to be really afraid of the trilateralists. Oh, my goodness, they were horrible. And they, of course, they just went away. But now it's the globalists, you know, so the same thing, really. <laughs> threat of nuclear war, and I don't think there's any threat of nuclear war simply because it's not biblical, but unless you talk about Armageddon. But in the book by Billy Graham, he mentioned about the possibilities of the devastating nuclear war that could happen back 40 years ago. And uh, what he said there, what I think is interesting, he mentioned two people that, uh, let me see. This was a bulletin of atomic scientists in a headline on January the 23rd. They reset their doomsday clock back to 90 seconds from 30 seconds. I think is where it was because they think the, the threat of nuclear war had decreased because the Ukraine war is over. I'm going, well, there never was really a Ukraine war. If you really get into it, uh, I won't go there, but that was just Putin trying to put down all the oligarchs and all the, all the corruption. And he did a pretty good job of that. And we really helped out Ukraine by sending them so much money. It's ridiculous. You know, we, somebody calculated that if we took that money from Ukraine and gave it, split it up at least partially to the people who were devastated in Maui, we could have given each family their $50 million. But what do we do? We sent it to Ukraine. Anyway, um, economic parallel. Now, listen, this one is straight out of my head, I guarantee you. The national debt at the time that Billy Graham wrote that book in 1983 was $1.4 trillion. Today it's 34.1 and by the end of March it's going to be 35 trillion. So what he said here, and I agree with this 500%, he said the Lord's restraining hand is the only reason the world has not experienced the worst inflation and the biggest collapse, economic collapse in history. Because 
he's waiting essentially for people to come to faith before he saps us out of here, before he brings on the tribulation. And the last one is about the pale horse. These are all things out of Billy Graham's book. Uh, he said, last year an interviewer asked this particular author, he said, if they asked him if I thought the writers of the apocalypse were already active in the world. And I said, no, but types of them are. And that's what this guy says too. Uh, he says he's convinced the rapture will happen before the, the judgments open. Uh, but he said, although there's violence, pestilence, and substantial number of deaths occurring in our current world, the totals fall sh far short of what the Bible says is going to happen after the, after the tribulation starts. One of the first seals, of the first seals, a fourth of the uh, people in the world are supposed to die, just from the seals now, not the trumpets or the bowls, just the seals. And that today, that'd be a billion and a half people. So if you think about all the people that died in World War II, it was only 75 million. Now, that's a lot of people, 75 million people. That's nothing like a billion and a half. So... So the time is rapidly approaching. This guy says that we're going to see the fulfillment of what Jesus or what John wrote about in Revelation 6, where it says sudden destruction will overwhelm the world. And that's definitely going to happen. So we're going to get that. Anyway, that was good. Now, this next one is pretty interesting, too. This particular guy, his name is Bill Wilson. He coined the word stupidocracy. <laughs> and so he writes these articles about, okay, here's another example of stupidocracy. So he says, we're living in an era where we are to being told one thing, but the opposite is true. That's what I'm going to be talking about, by the, by the way, on the 18th and the 25th when I do my uh, prophecy stuff you know, here Sunday night. Think about some of the hardcore stances made by corporate media that are now are proven to be false. Now listen to these things. And you know this is, this is true. These are false. COVID and mRNA shots are both safe and reliable. There, there was no evidence of voter integrity issues. <laughs> the January 6th protest was an insurrection. U.S. border is secure. <laughs> the Hunter Biden laptop story is fake news. Joe Biden never took money from the Chinese. Climate change is the reason behind massive worldwide migration. If that climate change? It's behind worldwide massive migration. People. <laughs> well, one of the most ridiculous thing I ever heard was these people, these, these uh, climatologists, I don't know who they are, were the ones that the greenies were complaining about. Oh, no, the polar bears are going to drown. Because it's going to, all the ice is going to melt. The polar bears are going to drown. I said, have you ever watched polar bears? They like the water. They swim really well. They, they have no problem in the water. These people are so silly. And the last one's free speech must be protected from misinformation. Free speech must be protected. It's <laughs> just comical. I'm sorry. So this guy says, if you don't believe this propaganda, you and people like you are threats to the world, threats to democracy. That's what they say. <laughs> oh, what a bunch of nonsense. Uh, listen to this. Here's two people who wrote about this. One's a guy by the name of Jeffrey Tucker. He's president of Brownstone Institute. He wrote a column for, for the Epic News. He said, their only hope, the liberals, at this point, 
is to hold on to power through any means possible. Now, this is a, this is a prognostication of what's going to happen in November, so you ought to pay attention to this. It's they who don't believe in democracy. Indeed, they fear it more than ever in every respect. They are against it in politics, also in economics, in education, in the culture, in media. Democracy means com competition and consumer choice, whereas they want cartel-based control. And then another guy, Robert Knight, who wrote in the Washington Times, he said, quote, there, again, the liberals, first order of business is to defeat Donald Trump by any means possible, wielding the legal system like a stiletto. The second is to get rid of as many election integrity safeguards as possible. This is what, quote, democracy looks like in communist and third world countries. At some point, more Americans in every state need to wake up to the fact that elections have consequences and that saving democracy, quote unquote, has become shorthand for one party tyranny. Perhaps the donkey party could adopt a more honest slogan such as vote Democrat help destroy democracy. By painting opponents as threats to democracy, they issue a license to would-be tyrants at all levels of government to silence speech. So then this guy thankfully mentioned what I wanted him to when he first started talking about democracy. Um, he said layered on top of this tyranny, the corporate media are shills for the Democrats with dogma about uh, many different things as we've already, already seen, obviously. He says we ought to uh, understand that they want to get rid of all Christians. They want to get rid of all white people. They want to get rid of all Trump supporters because they're all a threat to democracy. And then he says what I wanted him to say here. And that is that uh, we do not live in a democracy. America has always been a constitutional republic. And, and I'm sick of hearing him say democracy because that's not true. Democracy is just the mob rules. It's you have to vote on everything. In other words, if you want to change the rules about dog catchers, you'd have to, everybody have to vote on it. But do we have a representative democracy? And so, a representative republic, excuse me. So he says, the threats to your freedom are in plain sight, and you hear them every day to heed them. Say it with me, stupidocracy. That's true. I really like that. And Damon Duck. Um, there's a new guy, and I haven't heard of this guy. He's a very potentially a very strong candidate for the next position of the prime minister of Israel, if Netanyahu goes away. His name is Nir Barkat, B-A-R-K-A-T. Hadn't heard of him before, but he's really good. He said, jihadists want to kill all non-Muslims. Now, this is the interest. This is the logic now of Muslims. Think about this. I'm talking about the radicals. This is their logic. Number one, kill the little Satan. That's Israel. Next, number two is kill the big Satan. That's the United States. Three is kill all other non-Muslims. <laughs> Isn't that everybody? <laughs> Especially the ones that won't actually convert to Islam. So that's it. So they, it's, and they get out, they get real specific about this. It says, it says we are Friday people. We're going to kill all the Saturday people. And then we're going after the Sunday people. And what does that mean? Muslims celebrate their religion on Friday. The Jews on Saturday. We on Sunday. So that's what they talk. That's how they do. Islam is more than a threat to the Jews. It's a threat to all humanity. So Barkat added, we should be very clear and make sure the Iranians understand 
that they will not get away with using proxies against Israel. And what are the proxies? The three H's. There's three of them now. Hamas, Hezbollah, and Houthis. So you're not going to get away with using proxies because we know you're behind them. But we're coming after you. That's what he's saying. Isn't that cool? I love it. I think he should, should talk like that. Guy's name is Nir Barkat. He's an Israeli official. It doesn't say what he is, but that's N-I-R is his first name. B-A-R-K-A-T. I had never heard of him before. Israel. Yeah. Absolutely. He's, he's being truthful. He said he is warning Iran that their payday is coming. This is Barkat talking. He was suggesting that attacks on Israel by Iranian proxies should be met by attacks on Iran by Israel. Yeah. So prophecy teachers, even Jewish prophecy, these are Jewish prophecy teachers. There are know that the Bible teaches that Russia, Iran, and Turkey and others will attack Israel in the latter years and latter days. And we know that's Ezekiel 38 and 39, also Psalm 83. But Iran's use of proxies does not make them remove them from being a target. I think that's what they're trying to do. So move on to the second, the other stuff here. Uh, concerning a peace treaty in the Middle East, uh, the Secretary General, does anybody know who the Secretary General I used to know that. I used to know who the guy was, you know. The guy's name is Guterres. He's a general. He's from, I think he's from one of the middle, middle, uh, middle American, one of the Central American countries, if I remember right. Anyway, he said, Israel's conflict with the Palestinians has become a major threat to global peace and security, sometimes translated as peace and safety, as the Bible calls it. Israel's rejection of a two-state solution is unacceptable. That's from the UN. Israel's rejection of a two-state solution. Yeah, and they do. They reject it. Well, actually, what Palestine wants is to get rid of the Jews, period. So we don't care about a two-state solution. We just want to wipe out the Jews. They do. Number two, uh, on January 25th, there was an article posted that appeared in, in uh, the Washington Stand, which I'm not familiar with. The seven most outrageous moments of the World Economic Forum, which just happened last month. Now, this if you haven't heard of some of this stuff, this is where they get together, World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, and others get together, and they talk about other, what they're going to do in the, in the future. They call them those things they're working on. The 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs. And there's 17 of them. But they met in January. And this is some of the things that happened during that meeting. A godless pagan ritual that called upon a shaman to heal planet Earth. That's where they started it. A digital ID to track anything you do, including your finances, vaccinations, travel, etc. They, they want that to be worldwide. <laughs> A global tax to finance world government. UN wants that. A way to force the media, and when they say the media, they're talking about Facebook and X and, and TikTok, to silence sources that criticize the globalist agenda. In other words, force others to end freedom of speech. A way to keep leaders out of office, Trump. Power for the World Health Organization to put restrictions on nations during potential crises or pandemics. I'm going to say it, pandemics. That's what the last one was. And allow a limited amount of pushback. That's what they came up with. But concerning that, 
they have a schedule for dozens of international meetings and a countdown clock in the future. It's going to show how many years, months, days, hours, minutes, and seconds it is until 2030. And that's when all these SDGs, these 17 SDGs, are going to go into effect. A lot of them have to do with what you, I just read you. World control from World Health Organization, world control economically from the World Economic Forum, and many other things, too. There's 17 goals, anyway. And they went, went into effect on January the 1st, 2016, but they're supposed to culminate in 2030. How they enforce that? Huh. That's the difficulty. People start pushing back. They don't have any power. Oh, it's already started. Yeah, they're, they're pushing back dramatically against it. France and Germany, you've seen all the stuff about all farmers are blocking all the roads in France and in Belgium and in Germany. They're doing that. They're pushing back against it already. It's not going to go anywhere, I don't think. Yeah, they, they, uh, they pulled into the, to the area of government in, in Paris, and they backed up these big old trucks, and then they started spraying manure on all the cops. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah so i think the message is clear yes sir um Antichrist basically sets up the formal world government. I think one world government will start forming right away. It already is. They're trying to do that right now. After the rapture, there won't be any objection to it. So everybody will just go, you bet, let's go. So I, that's why I'm saying it probably form, start forming before the Antichrist steps up. I think the Antichrist, as I've told you before, my opinion is the Antichrist is going to step up, do that peace treaty, Daniel 9, 27, with Israel. But the peace treaty is going to be, please, Israel, talk to your God, and please make him stop killing everybody. Because they're supposed to wipe out all of the Jews, all of the, excuse me, all of the uh, Muslims in the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. All the Muslim countries are going to be destroyed at that, in that war. It says that five-sixths of all of the people in opposition to Israel will be wiped out. It says that in Ezekiel 38 and 39. So I think he'll go to Israel and say, please get your God to stop doing this. And Israel will go, cool, you bet. And that's tribulation will start right then. <laughs> that's what I think. Anyway, U.S. sovereignty, um, Gateway Pundit posted an article suggesting the Biden administration has created two Americas, one for legal citizens and one for illegal aliens. Uh, the legal citizens are supposed to obey rules and regulations, and legal aliens don't have to. They're also trying to bump up the uh, charge cards that are given to each alien to ten thousand dollars instead of five. And uh, I heard Mike Johnson say that. Well, I, did you hear that Schumer was saying that he was going to start a war if they didn't actually pass this stuff about opening up the border? He can't do that. He doesn't have that kind of power. He can't do that. There's no way. And then Mike Johnson said this this thing about opening the border and giving Ukraine more money. I said it's dead on arrival in the House anyway, so that's not going to happen. So even if Biden likes it and the Senate likes it, moving on. Less two more, two more, three more. Concerning an increase in frequency and intensity of natural disasters, this is interesting. 
was reported on January the 25th that, that some areas of Texas and Louisiana received a month's rain in three days. Actually, they got some, they got 14 inches in some areas and 10 inches in other areas. Does that mean anything? Well, it have, you know, weather fluctuates always. So does that really mean that's part of the end times? Oh, I, I don't know. Uh, this one, though, is quite interesting. I mentioned last week that the Jews have some red heifers that are ready to be sacrificed. The date for doing that is Passover. And this year, that is April the 22nd. So if Netanyahu, and this is interesting too, Biden's effort to remove Netanyahu from office, and he's trying to do that, or forcing Netanyahu to rely on his religious parties and his coalition of parties to keep him in power. That's the way they work in Israel now. There's 120 seats in the Knesset, and there's not one party that you can, that can control 61. So they have to have coalitions of parties. And I don't know how many are in Netanyahu's, but it's like seven or eight different parties. He has to rely on the religious parties to stay with him so he can remain in power. If he ever gets below 61, they'll have another election. And so he's doing what the religious parties want to do. What do the religious parties want to do? Kill a red heifer, make the anointing oil, anoint the priests and build the temple, build the tribulation temple, basically. So that may mean that they'll do exactly that. I think that's interesting. So on November the 22nd, excuse me, April the 22nd, let's keep our eyes and, and see if they allow them to burn a red heifer. That's what they have to do first. The uh, priests can't, can't rule or can't do what they need to do in the temple without being anointed with that oil that they make from ashes of the red heifer. Yes, sir. It's April the 8th. Yep. Very, April may be a real significant month this year. Yeah. I hadn't heard that part, but I don't doubt that. Yeah. Okay. That so, would be interesting. So, you know, you've got all that gravitational change. Well, it would be less gravitational pull on us then at that particular change, point. I'll check into that. He's saying that, that at that same time, at the Passover, or at the time of the eclipse anyway, that the Earth is going to be on the opposite side of the, of the other planets, you know, on the other side of the sun, and that could actually affect us gravitationally and it could make some Earthquakes, all kinds of different things can happen. We'll have to keep our eyes on that. Yeah, that's probably you know, something similar like that probably happened during the flood periods where the continents started. Oh, sure. Apart sure. And the springs started coming up and volcanic this, that, other things Okay, this, this, two more things here. One more thing. Many religious Jews believe the Messiah will give them permission to rebuild the temple. Jesus told a group of Jews, I am come in my father's name and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive, John 5, 43. So that's, we're talking about the Antichrist there. So, And then the last thing here, it says, concerning the rise of a godless world, government and persecution. Recently unearthed video shows that gay activists, and you've heard of atheist, gay atheist, Yuval Noah, or it's Noah Yuval, anyway, uh, Harari is his last name. He is Klaus Schwab's right-hand man. 
he said, quote, human rights are just like heaven and just like God. Fictional. And we've invented, that we've invented and spread around. Yeah, that's what he said. He is the perfect example. I tell you what, that guy actually might be, since he's a Jew, might be the false prophet. I'm, I'm serious about that. He actually might be the false prophet. I don't, don't know who the Antichrist is, but that guy is a perfect candidate for the false prophet. The Antichrist is going to be a, a Gentile, but the false prophet is going to be a Jew. This guy is the perfect example of that. Yuval Harari. He's a skinny little gay guy, but he's outspoken. He's very, very clear about him being an atheist. Yeah. Interesting. He's really ugly. I'll show you a picture of him. Harari, <laughs> H-A-R-A-R-I, I believe. A-R-I, Harari, Yuval Harari. Yeah. He's number two in the World Economic Forum. Klaus Schwab's number one. He's number two. Okay. We are in Luke chapter eight. And you will all recognize this very well. This is the parable of the soils. Quite interesting. I think we all know and understand it, but let's get into it. And there may be something here that you might not fully grasp yet. So let's talk about it. Some of this stuff is introductory stuff I found is really interesting. I think I'm going to astonish you by repeating the good news of salvation that comes out of the Bible and the blessings that come along with it. Each of these blessings has a corresponding verse, and I'll tell you what those are. I think after you hear these blessings, it's kind of amazing that you think anybody would reject what God has provided because it's such a wonderful thing. But people do. So let me read them to you. Number one would be forgiveness of sin, Acts 10, 43. Number two would be freedom from sin's tyranny, Romans 6, 1 through 7. Number three is justification, Romans 3, 20 through 28, meaning the same thing as, as being made righteous. Number four is eternal life, John 3, 16. Number five is peace with God, Romans 5, 1. Number five, uh, six is adoption into the family of God, Romans 8, 15. Then the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 1, 14. The filling of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18. Empowering of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1, 8. A clear conscience, Hebrews 10, 22. Hope of heaven, 1 Peter 1, 4. Mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16, but the mind of Christ is revealed in the word of truth, John 17.7. So this parable of the soils that we're going to go through here answers really uh, the question of why throughout redemptive history most people have rejected it. That's a shame, but that's the truth. I'm going to read you some verses out of uh, Matthew and Luke that actually point to that. First one is Matthew seven fourteen, and it says, but the gate is narrow and the way is, is straight that leads the way to life and few are they who find it. And then you've got Matthew twenty two fourteen, and that says, for many are called, few are chosen. And then Luke 13, 23 through 24, says, and one asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? 
and is delivered from the penalties of the last judgment, made partakers of the salvation of Christ. And he said to them, strive, in other words, fight hard against the devil to enter by the narrow door. Force yourselves through it. For many, I tell you, will try to enter it and will not be able. Many will, but, but won't be able to. So this is an interesting statement. This isn't me. This is somebody else. But Jesus tells us that through the parable, the issue is not the gospel message itself this, through this parable of the soils. It's not the gospel message. It's also not the skill or the method used in presentation of the gospel message. The only determining factor is the condition of the people's hearts. And I've got some... No, the ones hearing the parable. Matthew 12, 34 says, You offspring of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil and wicked? For out of the fullness, the overflow, the superabundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Also, uh, Matthew 15, 18 and 19 says, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this is what makes a man unclean and defiles him. But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And for out of the heart come evil thoughts, reasonings, disputings, designs, such as murder, adultery, sexual vice, theft, false witnessing, slander, and irreverent speech. These are what make a man unclean and defile him. Not washing your hands, that was just answer to people. Why, how come you weren't washing your hands? You know, all they did was just kind of go, and that was it. You know, it was ceremonial. So also, <clears throat> Scripture tells us in both in the Old and New Testaments, they're very descriptive about an evil heart. And I've got a whole bunch. <laughs> this blew me away, too. Again, this isn't me. I, this was dug out by somebody else. But here are words that describe our hearts if we're not saved. You ready? I got the verses to go along with them. There's a lot of them. Wicked, Proverbs 26, 30, 23. Desperately sick, Jeremiah 17, 9. Perverse, Proverbs 11, 20, Psalm 101. Evil, Genesis 8, 21, Jeremiah 3, 17. Insane, Ecclesiastes 9, 3. Unclean, Jeremiah 4, 14. Deceitful, Jeremiah 17, 9. Disloyal, 1 Kings 15, 3. Errant, Psalm 95, 10. Unrepentant, Romans 2, 5. Unbelieving, Hebrews 3, 12. Blind, Romans 1, 21. Deceived, Isaiah 44, 20. Hardened, Ephesians 4, 19. Proud, Proverbs 16, 5, 21, 4. Greedy, 2 Peter 2, 14. Foolish, Romans 1, 21. Idolatrous, Ezekiel 14. Rebellious, Jeremiah 5. Stubborn, Jeremiah 5.23, and dull, Acts 28.27. So all these negative terms speak to the depth of the human depravity of the heart without God. That's us. Everybody. Yeah, that's we were born. Yeah, 8 billion people right now. That's us. Uh, Jesus got into a, a boat this particular time because of the crowds. 
but actually he knew what he was doing because he'd get good acoustics if he's out in a boat talking to people back out on the land. So he started talking to them and the large crowd consisted of people who were local, but also from distant areas drawn to Jesus because he healed everybody. And that was one thing a lot of people don't realize. He didn't just heal the people that wanted to, wanted to go follow him and do what he wants. They just came to him if they were sick and he healed them all. He raised the dead, cast out demons, uh, healed everything. Actually, he even restored things to people like eyes and, and uh, movement and things like that. He spoke through the crowds, though, through parables, as we know. That's uh, basically stories that speak spiritual truth, no doubt. But also, if you're tuned in, makes the truths vivid and uninteresting and unforgettable and easily remembered. But he also said he would reveal the truth only to his faithful followers. But we go to Mark 4 and 11 and 12, and this is what it says there. It says, and he said to them, to you have been entrusted the mystery of the kingdom of God. That is the secret counsels of God, which are hidden from the ungodly. But for those outside of our circle, everything becomes a parable. In order that, they may indeed look and look, but not perceive. They hear and hear, but not grasp or comprehend. Lest happily, not happily, but happily, they should turn again and it should be forgiven them. So that's why he spoke in the parable. So in this passage in Luke chapter 8, Jesus would, chapter eight, yeah, would reveal the truth to his faithful followers. And in this passage, 8, 5 through through 14, really, and in this particular section, 8, 5 through 8a, Lord told his parable to the crowd, but interpreted it to his disciples. So let's read it and see what he said in those, those first few verses there. He said, and when a very great throng was gathered together, the people from town after town kept coming to Jesus. And he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow seed, and as he sowed, some fell among the traveled path. It was trodden underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. And some seed fell on a rock, the rock. And as soon as it sprouted, it withered away, as it had no moisture. And other seed fell in the midst of the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some seed fell into good soil and grew and yielded a crop a hundred times as great as originally expected. So... What he's saying there, the Lord told his parable only to everybody, but he only told the meaning of it to his disciples. The activity described, of course, was familiar to everybody that was there. You know, back then, the way to sow seed was broadcasted. You, know, you actually threw it out of the sack and uh, scattered seed by hand. The road mentioned is probably pathways through the field. It's not like a highway or a major pathway. It's, it's a way to walk through the field. So it was, it was tamped down and hard, and so the seeds wouldn't have be able to penetrate the ground. And so the seeds couldn't penetrate, and so the birds came along and ate them. The rocky soil didn't mean there were rocks showing or anything. It probably just meant there were rocks just below the surface. In other words, there was no way for the roots to get down very far. And so that meant with shallow depth, there was no root system. The thorny or weedy ground meant despite well-prepared soil, Someone might have sowed a bunch of, of weed seeds, 
or it could have just been they hadn't had enough time harvesting to get rid of them. So it had some weed seeds in the ground. And then the good soil, of course, was probably well used over the years. And all of the unwanted seeds and so on had been removed from that. So the interpretation then is in the second part of 8 all the way through 15. And what does it say? It says in verse 8, second part. He said these things. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him be listening and consider and understand by hearing. Many, when he, his disciples asked him what his parable meant, he said to them, to you it has been given to come progressively to know, that is to recognize and understand more strongly and clearly, mysteries and secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not comprehend. Now, the meaning of the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now, this is interesting because when he had the other, another parable later on, he actually mentioned that he was the sower. But in this case, he just mentions that the seed is the word of God. And those along the traveled road are the people who heard. Then the devil comes, carries away the message out of their hearts that they may not believe and be saved. And those upon the rock, or those when they hear the word, receive it, welcome it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of trial and temptation, fall away and withdraw. And as for what fell among the thorns, these are the people who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked and suffocated with anxieties and cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not ripen or come to maturity and perfection. But as for that in the good soil, these are the people who hearing the word hold fast in a just, noble, and virtuous heart, worthy heart, and steadily bring forth fruit and patience. That tells you exactly the truth. The disciples were interested and they wanted to know what it actually meant and they were capable of understanding and so Jesus told them what it was a great privilege to have the mysteries of the kingdom revealed to them, obviously. So God was, was and still is hardening hearts of those against the truth, just like he did with Pharaoh in, his, in Exodus chapter 8. Jesus identified key elements contained in the parable. And like I said, he didn't name the sower like he did in the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew chapter 13. But... Uh, this in this particular case, the seeds, the word of God, and we went through each one of those. That the uh, pathways were just hardened ground; the people tramped, the seeds couldn't penetrate, and these people, people of today, also was were uh, stubbornly resolute and rigid in their inner in their indifference in their response to the gospel. Yeah, I'm not ready, or I know what that means, but don't care, or I'm not ready yet. It's just not time for me. Hard-hearted people don't have to be atheists. Hard-hearted people can be highly, seriously religious people, just like the Jewish leaders. There are a lot of seminary professors that fall into that category that are just basically know everything there is to know about the Bible in their head and don't have it in their heart. They're basically impervious to God's truth. 
And when the devil comes along, he makes them forget about it. Satan does this through false teachers, of course. But he also does it through attractions of the world. Makes you uh, not be diligent in your faith. And that can happen. And then the rocky soil, a bit of the shallow soil that, doesn't, that has rocks underneath it or rocks mixed into it, it simply means the roots aren't capable of actually catching hold. And so in a time of temptation, people turn away. And that's exactly what happens to most people, I think. And really, when I say most, I mean most. I mean, the Bible is very clear about things like that. There are, uh, there are verses. I hope it's, this is the one in James chapter 1 where he says, Consider it wholly joyful when you're enveloped in trials of any sort and fall into various temptations. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. And that's, that's extremely important. Uh, the one I want to tell you, I'm, I'm going to come across it here in a minute, but it, it basically says that there are many who turn away from God simply because the world is more attractive to them. So the thorny soil is that one. Basically, the, the seed is sown, the seeds grow, but the world diverts their attention away. Impurities make them turn away. It means they weren't saved. It means they accepted it in their mind. They understood it in their mind, did not accept it in their hearts. Yeah. I think that's really what he's saying in all three of these. The people that, if it fell on the pathway, they didn't get it at all. So obviously they didn't get saved. It fell on rocky ground. It, it sprouted. They heard it. it. sounded interesting, but didn't have any roots. And they just said, nah. Thorny, I mean, the weedy soil, though. It, it looks like, some people look like they're saved. They really do, but they're not because choked them out completely. But only the seeds in the good ground reveal the true belief. And that's a small percentage. Well, that was the circumcision that God was talking about. You know, do it physically, sure. But he was talking about circumcision of the heart. And that's what we're supposed to do, circumcise. Or what does that mean? means cut off yourself, you know, put yourself behind everyone else, you know, be, be humble. That's the whole idea. Humility is the only way to salvation. So then uh, people are double-minded. That's the choking weeds. They're double-minded. Matthew 6, 24. I guess the one that I was thinking about. That says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, Stand by and to be devoted to the one and despise and be against the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or you cannot serve God in the world. So I think that's what that's talking about. In First John, is an exceptionally good one in my opinion. I can turn to it without losing all my page markers here. First John two fifteen through seventeen says, "Do not love or cherish the world or the things that are in the world." If anyone loves the world, love for the Father isn't in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these do not come from the Father, but are from the world itself. And the world passes away and disappears, and with it the forbidden cravings of it. But he who does the will of God and carries out his purposes in his life abides forever. So there's nothing wrong in enjoying the things of the world and the things of life. God made them for us, obviously. 
But the priority is to seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. That's that's Matthew six thirty three. So, um, the seed in the good good ground. People understood the word, accepted it, hold it fast, and hung on to it in obedience. And that's the way that works. And so, the seed will grow and mature, bear fruit. Of course, good fruit is good work. And I like this statement. Good fruit is good works that accompany salvation, including both attitudes and actions. Now, that was, I thought that was important. Not just actions, it's attitude. Attitude fruit produces action fruit. And an attempt to generate action fruit apart from attitude fruit produces legalism. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is good. Attitude fruit. Attempt, let's put it this way, attempt to generate action fruit without attitude fruit first produces legalism. You have the wrong attitude. And that's what the Pharisees did. So fruitlessness is a mark of false, non-saving faith. I'll read you out of John. John 15, 2. And that says, any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts away, trims off, and he cleanses and repeatedly prunes every branch and continue, that continues to bear fruit to make it bear more and richer and more excellent fruit. And of course, that's what you do with grapes and peaches and everything else, all, all fruit-bearing plants, you do the same thing, but that also applies to us. And so we're supposed to be pruned all the time. So conviction, which prepares the heart to receive the gospel, is the work of the Holy Spirit. We know that. Salvation is the work of God. And the Spirit uses the proclamation of the gospel message and the, gets the need for salvation by doing that. And how do people hear the gospel message? We tell them. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. Can we see the results? Sometimes but not often. You don't know what's happening if you, if you share the gospel. Sometimes maybe people go away and months later it, it occurs to them. It's happened at the ranch quite a bit. Somebody will come back to us that we saw left leave in, in a huff and we find out months later that they came to their senses and accepted the Lord and changed their life. So it can happen. Blessings come after acknowledgement of sin, obviously. And acceptance of salvation comes only after you acknowledge your sin and your great need for it and the fact that you're not all there is in a bag of chips, somebody has once said. <laughs> like most people think. So what do you think? This is something that we've seen many times. has great meaning, for sure. But I think people miss the fact that what it says is many are those who go on the road to destruction, but only a few find the narrow road. And that's essentially what I've said before. I really think it's a 10%. It may even be less than 10%. Actually find the, the narrow road. Which is a shame. That's horrible when you think about that. Really, when you think about it in terms of the, of the revelation, and what revelation says is going to happen to people in the tribulation, you find out that somewhere in the neighborhood of two-thirds of all people on the face of the earth will die in the tribulation. Today, that would be somewhere in the range of 6 billion people. Think about that. As I maintain... 
the atmosphere on the earth in tribulation, you won't be able to find any fresh air anywhere because it'll be death every time you take a breath and smell like death. You know how bad that smells. Imagine thousands and thousands of bodies rotting in and, and contributing to the atmosphere. <laughs> Any questions or comments? I'm through. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, that's a, that you think, oh, that's a nice parable. <laughs> well, it is. It's nice. It just condemned about three-fourths of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Really, I mean, it's sad. It's a horrible thing. It really it's is. The seed that falls on good ground by the grace of God. It is. It's also look at look at all of the work that has to be put into making good ground. You know, got to be sure to get all of the old weed and all the bad seeds out of it. They've got to till it, and make sure it's fully uh, aerated, full of nutrients, nitrogen and other fertilizers and that sort of thing. And gets a tremendous amount of preparation so the seed can grow properly. And look at all that has to be done. Well, that's what we're supposed to be doing, is doing that preparation of, so God can grow the seed. And we can't grow the seed. You know, that's not in our purview. But we can certainly prepare the ground for everybody. Absolutely, it is. Because we've all got prejudices and presuppositions and things like that. We got to weed all those out and get rid of those so we can actually hear the word and accept it. Yeah, you bet. So it's very analogous to preparing a garden properly, obviously. That's what or that being means. aware of those things in your life. Mm -hmm. Might not be able to get rid of them. Or, or very easily on our own either. Yeah, God may have to do it. Or, yeah, yeah that's right. Amen. The children are actually, it's easier, obviously, to get the child uh, down the right path than it is for an adult because adult, you got so much stuff to get rid of if you're an adult. Yeah. Or you have to get their attention is the hardest thing, I think. <laughs> like the old story farmer needed uh, his neighbor's mule to uh, pull out a stomp. And his neighbor's a real nice guy, and he said, Can I borrow your mule? He said, Sure. So he took the mule over to his property, tied the stump to the mule, and said, go, cow, you know, mule just sat there. And he started yelling at him, and mule just sat there. So after a long period of time, he got real frustrated. So he went back to the farmer and said, your mule won't do anything. You won't pay any attention to me. He says, oh, I know. Said, Let me come with you. So he went with him to where the mule was. And the farmer brought along a two before and he walked over real calmly over the, over the mule and just whacked him over the head with that too before. And the mule got up, started pulling like crazy and pulled that stump out of the ground. And the, the neighbor said, why didn't you hit your mule? And he said, well, you gotta get his attention. 
that's the same way with Christianity. It's the same thing. How many people need to be hit upside the head with a turban for? A whole bunch of them. So. You get over that by knowing the Word of God tremendously, and you read it all the time. They don't have their hearts set on it. That's the problem with the. So true. Gary? I don't know No. No. Soul can't prepare itself. No. No. Funny thing called the uh, second law of thermodynamics. Everything degrades. <laughs> so you leave a field alone, and what's it going to do? It's going to just degrade, and weeds are going to grow, and around here, mesquite, and, and uh, Cypress are going to cedar will grow. So, very good. Anyone else? Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you. We thank you for this time. Lord, your uh, your word is so powerful and is so deep. And and Lord, we we confess that many times we read and and we think we understand, but we, if we stop and contemplate, it's exactly what it means to us in our day as compared to and and obviously trying to translate what our day looks like back into what your day looked like so we can understand it better. We find an awful lot of depth there. We find an awful lot more meaning when we do that. Because your Bible was written at different times and many thousands of years ago in some cases. And that's the way we should interpret it, what was going on back then. Why, was, why did you say what you said at that time? So much of what you said actually applies to us today the same way, but sometimes it applies to us in a different way because our society is different. So we need to read in context and understand it better. We do. So thank you for giving us that knowledge that we can do it that way. That's true hermeneutics. The right, that's the proper way of interpreting what you have written down for us. So thank you, Lord, for that. We praise you for all your guidance and all of your many blessings in our lives. We pray for those that are sick. We pray for those who are suffering for various reasons. Whether it might be illness or just bad situations or the loss of someone or there's all kinds of things that are going on in this world as always. And that's why we need you, Lord, so desperately. Because you can ease our hearts, remind us of salvation, remind us of, of renewal, remind us of uh, getting back with loved ones at some future date. There's all kinds of things that are so comforting. And we praise you for that, Lord, because you love us. You love us first, Lord, before we loved you. So thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the infilling of the Spirit. Thank you for this time that we spend together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.